Hi, good morning everyone. For those who don't know me, my name is Martin and I help out at the vineyard site in Wellingborough. But given we're not able to meet there or meet anywhere for that matter, today I've got the privilege of sharing the next talk in our current series, looking at the theme of rebuilding and revival through the book of Nehemiah. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you'll be familiar with Nehemiah's story so far. Nehemiah was a, an Israelite living in exile in Babylon when he heard about the plight of his people back in his homeland of Jerusalem. The city was in a, in a pretty bad way. The walls had been destroyed and the city gate burnt. And this made Nehemiah sad. And that sadness turned to grief. At the time, Nehemiah had a, a pretty important job working as the cupbearer for Arxerxes, who's the king of Babylon. And when Arxerxes saw Nehemiah's sadness, the, the king released him from his job and let him go back to Jerusalem to make things better. We've heard how Nehemiah had to wait, but that waiting time, it wasn't wasted time, that he used that time to develop a fresh vision for the city, a vision which gave hope and inspired people, the people of Israel to get involved, to, to take their place, to take their part, and to invest personally in making things better. We've heard how Nehemiah worked from a position of rest, and he not only led his people to rebuild the physical walls of the city in a record time, but he also confronted the injustices that he saw by taking on the nobles and the officials and telling them straight up that what they were doing was wrong and it needed to change. And that's pretty much the first seven chapters of Nehemiah. And as Michelle mentioned last week, the first seven chapters are all about the physical rebuilding of Jerusalem by the Israelites. A massive effort only made possible with the support and blessing of, of God. Last week, we moved on to the second theme of Nehemiah. And if the first theme was about the physical revival and rebuilding, then the second theme is about their spiritual revival and rebuilding. Last week, Michelle talked about the joy, about the joy of the Lord, which is described in, in chapter 8, verse 10, as the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the strength of that joy comes from the confidence we can have that our Lord, our King, has, has already won. Today, we're going to look at the next stage of that spiritual revival. The passage we heard earlier was from Nehemiah 9, verses 1 to 5. So we're going to look at that in a bit more depth. But before we do that, let's pray. Father God, Lord of heaven and earth, Father, we thank you for your word written for us so that generation after generation can know you more or can know you better. Father God, take these words today and use them for your glory. Open our hearts to hear your voice and let anything not of you, Lord, just fall away. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so back to Nehemiah. In fact, we, before we jump into chapter nine, I just want to go briefly back to the end of chapter eight and, and set the context there. So the walls built, the gates are back up and the city's starting its spiritual revival. They've gone back to basics. Um, they've gone back to the, the Torah, the book of the law of God, which is the first five books of the Bible. It's the story of their people and the, and the covenant law that they've been given to them by God. And it was pretty specific in terms of how they should be living their lives. And this wasn't a rush review, it wasn't a skim read and move on. They were really getting into the detail. Chapter 13 to 18 talks about the festival of shelters or the feast of the tabernacle as it's sometimes referred to. It says they studied the law and they discovered a whole bunch of stuff that they should be doing, but they hadn't done for ages and ages. 
they read that during the Feast of the Tabernacle, they should be building shelters to live in just as their ancestors had done. So they did. They built and they lived in these shelters during the festival. And every day they listened to the book of the law being read to them. And like all good festivals, they celebrated. In fact, in, in verse 17, it says they were filled with great joy and hadn't celebrated like that since the days of Joshua. Now, now here's a thought. Do you remember the distant days of, of 2019 when we could celebrate, celebrate birthdays, weddings, celebrate God together in worship? That's only been nine months. Nine months for us since we were able to celebrate like that. For the Israelites, it had been over 900 years. That must have been some kind of festival. Now, I, I can't wait for the day that we can get back together in person and, and celebrate God like that. Let's hope the builders at Sheep Street reinforce the roof while they're putting the lift in. I think it's going to need it because I'm sure we'll do our best to raise it. OK, so back into chapter nine. It's, it's a few days later. The people are back together again. They're back in the word. They're hungry for it. They're like sponges going over the scriptures line by line, having their, their eyes opened by its truth once more. They were lapping it up, eager for the next bit, just like a, a good book on a summer holiday when you can't resist the next chapter or a box set on a dark winter's night when you, when you roll straight on to the next episode. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a great reader. I'll be honest, I, I don't really enjoy it. It drives my wife and kids crazy because they're proper bookworms, which in turn drive me crazy because pretty much every wall in our house is floor to ceiling with bookshelves. Unfortunately, my dislike of reading can easily extend to picking up the Bible. I have to make a, a concerted effort to get into it, to, to concentrate, to understand. But there's something about the Bible. It has this amazing ability to speak truth right into your heart, to encourage and to convict. And that's what's happening here in Jerusalem. The Israelites, having spent hours and hours in the Torah, have been convicted by the word. They've recognised how far from God they've become. So they gather in humility, with sorrow, wearing sackcloth, with rough, coarse, hessian material, itchy, really uncomfortable stuff. They sprinkled dust on their heads and they separated themselves from anything that was of the world, which could take them away from who they are, from their, from their promise and from their purpose. And they stood. They stood for a quarter of the day in the heat and dust and they listened. That's a three-hour Bible study straight off the bat. And that's just the starter. After that, they turn to confession and worship. Three more hours confessing their sins and the sins of their ancestors and worshipping God. Revival at a personal and national or nation level at this scale, rebuilding their spiritual relationship with God, started with a reverence for the word of God, the Bible, before moving into confession. And this was total confession, real soup to nuts job confession of anything that had or was separating them from God. I can imagine it would have been a, a Psalm 139 kind of prayer-led confession, not the stuff they knew they had done wrong, but, but the stuff that God knew. The last two verses of Psalm 139 say, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. That kind of searching is deep. It reveals the things we've done or thought or said that can separate us from God without us even knowing or, or realising it. But here's the good news. God is a good, loving God. 
He doesn't want us to be separated from him by revealing what we've done wrong, by convicting and enabling us to recognise it. Then and only then can we confess it to anyone that we we may have wronged and also to him so that it can be dealt with. And that's the deal of the new covenant, the covenant of grace and mercy that we live under today. It's the the good news and the promise that God is a God of grace and mercy, Uh, a father so loving that in Jesus he sent his one and only son to live on earth and die on the cross so that our sins can be forgiven, our slate can be wiped clean. Through grace, he gives us the things we don't deserve and through his mercy, he prevents us from receiving the things that we do deserve. Confession is an important step in the process of getting closer to God. It means sin, basically anything that stops us getting closer to God can be dealt with. We need to recognise what's wrong, get over any pride we might have and trust in God's promise to love us anyway. That's not always easy. Confessing in it to God can be the easy part, but what about the confession model of the New Testament? Doing it the way Jesus taught us to do from his time on earth. Jesus talks about confession and repentance, not just to God. The first step is to say sorry to anyone that we may have sinned against or caused harm to. In Luke chapter 17, verse 3, it says, If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Sin needs calling out so that repentance and forgiveness can follow in that order. Matthew 6, 14, uh, verse 12 and 14 says, um, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. First, we have to forgive others so our heavenly father can forgive us. Closeness to God then requires regular confession, but sometimes we don't recognise the wrongs that we've done We don't recognise what hurt we may have caused others and we don't recognise that that will also have hurt God too. And it drives a wedge through our relationship with him. And that's the time to pray the search me Lord prayer, revealing me the things that are offensive so I can be led in the way of the everlasting. Then comes the the tough step, the one where pride often gets in the way. Once you recognise the sin, then you have to confess it and repent, to own up, to admit it, to say sorry and to mean it. If you've wronged someone, a brother or sister, the first point of call is to approach them, to repent, to confess, to say sorry. I know from experience that's tough. Pride creeps in all too fast. Admitting I'm wrong, I've, I've done something wrong is tough. It it dents your ego, it deflates a sense of self-worth, it can make you feel bad, but it's the right thing to do because it's repentance that leads to forgiveness from others and forgiving others means our Father in heaven can forgive us. After all, that's, that's what the Bible says. So what helps us to take that step? I'm gonna suggest it's trust. I remember when I was a kid, my My parents used to say, it's better to own up and say sorry rather than getting found out later and suffering the the real consequences. Um, If you told the truth about something that's happened, they wouldn't get cross. 
Well, I think I've officially now turned into my parents because that's what we say to our kids too. But it only works if your children can trust that you won't flip out when they do now own up, when they do own up. And that's for the big things and the small things. You see, trust is it's like a muscle. It grows through exercise. This summer, Jacob, our son, owned up to eating all the dolly mixtures in a secret sweep tub we keep hidden in the caravan. He was genuinely sorry about that. If Deborah and I had flipped out and got cross when he told us, we would have broken that trust. It would have weakened that muscle. You see, trust is a firm belief in the reliability, the truth, or the ability of someone or something. Jacob was trusting that we had told the truth, that we would be reliable, that we had the ability not to get cross. And that didn't mean there wasn't a consequence, it just meant that it could be forgiven and dealt with. It's the same with God. Trusting God is a firm belief in the reliability, truth or ability of God, a, a firm belief in God's reliability, a firm belief in God's truth, a firm belief in God's ability to deal with it once and for all and to, to love us all the same. Trusting in God means no matter what happens, you turn to him instead of away. No matter how bad things get, no matter how far you may stray from him, that you turn back and being the loving father he is, he'll be there with open arms to embrace you. Now, I, I know that's far easier said than done, especially with everything that's going on in the world today, a, a global pandemic taking hundreds of thousands of lives across the world, um, a nation in lockdown creating economic uncertainty and preventing us seeing family and friends, terror attacks in, in France and Austria and political uncertainty in the US, Brexit around the corner, remember that? How are we supposed to trust God in all of that? Trusting God doesn't mean everything in life is going to be easy. It doesn't mean we'll always know the reason why or the reason why not. Trusting in God is a belief in his reliability, in his truth, in his promises, in the knowledge that he's already won. Trust is like, uh, trust like that is easy to talk about, but it's not always easy to do. Um, like a muscle, if you don't work it regularly, it will wither. If you don't trust situations to God, your relationship with him will wither. And over time, it, it just won't be as strong. So let's bring that back to Nehemiah in chapter 9. The Israelites were, were God's chosen people. If you read on through the rest of chapter 9, you'll read the Israelite story of their trust walk with God in the good times and in the bad. Uh, ultimately, though, they trusted in the unfailing love of God. They had a firm belief in his reliability and his truth in his ability to welcome them back and then to embrace them as a loving father to the, the prodigal sons and daughters that they were. They trusted God despite everything that had happened and how far they had gone away from him, that he was, he was still there for him and turning back to him through scripture, confession, repentance and worship was the way to rebuild and revive their relationship with him individually and as a nation to step back into their promise and into their purpose, to receive the blessings of Deuteronomy 28 and, and not the curses. So before we close in prayer, there's three things I'd just like to reflect on briefly. Firstly, are you happy with your relationship with God right now? Are you close or, or are you far away? Are you standing face to face or are you looking the other way, distracted, distant? 
Can you celebrate life in all its mess and glory with him right now? Secondly, is there anything that you need to confess, anything you need to say sorry for, anyone you need to say sorry to? What's getting in the way of your relationship with God? Do you, do you know what that is? Or do you need to dig deeper to ask God to search your heart and to, and to point it out so that you can repent and deal with it? Finally, do you trust God? Do you trust God fully or or has that muscle started to wither? Is it less strong? What is it that's getting in the way of trusting God's reliability, his truth, his longing to embrace you and to walk with you as we journey through life? Let's pray. Father God, loving God, graceful God, thank you for your word that through it we can learn more of you, more of your truth. Help us to see you for who you are Lord. Help us to trust in you that you want the best for each of us, that your plans are good and your, your grace is freely given. Father reveal to us right now anything that may be keeping us from you, anything that we need to bring to you, bring to others with repentance. Help us to see the things we're holding on to, the things that are creating distance between us Lord. Give us the courage, Father. Give us the opportunity to confess, to repent, to seek forgiveness. Lord, help us to trust you more, to trust your will for our lives, to trust you with the lives of those around us that we love. Reveal to us and refresh our minds of the times we've been close, of the good things that you've done in our lives and the times we've turned to you and, and you've been there. Work that muscle in our hearts to strengthen our, our trust in you. And Father, be with us this week as we spend time alone, time apart, time in lockdown, Lord. Be with us and help us to be with you and not to rely on ourselves, but to, to rest in your love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.